All right, church, go ahead, open up your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. Uh, we have arrived at the last and final chapter of the book of Hebrews as we've been preaching through this, this book. Uh, we, we are nearing the end, and so just to give you guys a heads up as to where we are going in our Sunday morning preaching schedule, uh, the plan is to finish up the book of Hebrews uh, at the end of uh, August or at the beginning of September. We will then preach a three-part series on our mission statement, Behold, Build, Bless, that we believe we exist by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit to behold God to build up the body of Christ, and to bless the city and the world. And so each of the pastors here will be taking one of those and preaching on, on that. Uh, after we preach through the mission statement then, we will start preaching through the Old Testament book of Jonah this fall. And so I know many of you, if you grew up in church or went to Sunday school, you're probably familiar with the story, and yet I think there's a lot we can uh, glean from it and learn and a lot we can praise God for as we, as we walk through it together. Uh, Jonah will then take us to our Advent series. Uh, yes, Christmas is just around the corner, all right? We are almost there. Uh, we are about a month away from it being acceptable to start pl be playing Christmas music at home. At least that's my opinion, and so we're, we are almost there. Uh, so Jonah will take us to our Advent series. We'll have a, an Advent series leading up to Christmas. And then likely, uh, don't hold me to this, but likely in January, we will start then preaching through the book of Romans, okay? And so that's where we'll be going uh, next year. In our city groups this fall, we're going to be going through the book of Ephesians. And so we'd encourage you guys to be in a city group as we are going to be reading and studying uh, the book of Ephesians uh, together, okay? All right. Um, as we uh, start into today, the final chapter of Hebrews, um, at what we will see is, as is the pattern with most New Testament books, the book starts with some teaching about truth, all right? It starts with some good doctrine, and then it transitions to what we are called to do in light of this truth. All right, we see this pattern of, of first doctrine, then duty. And that's the, the order that we commonly see in Scripture. Doctrine, then duty. And that order is so important because if the order is reversed, then things really start to get out of whack. Right? If you start trying to do things for Christ before you understand what Christ has done for you, things get all out of order and they get really weird really quickly, okay? And what usually happens is you end up getting a powerless, fruitless, uh, ineffective shell of Christianity. You get churches full of people who are trying in their own strength to follow God's ways and yet are lacking the power and the grace to be able to do it. And it turns into more man-made religion. It produces self-righteous people who have the appearance of godliness but deny its power. However, we also can't just preach right doctrine and not what, what that should lead to, right? If we, just, if we just preach doctrine and never really look at how this should transform our lives, then we will become the, like those whose knowledge is puffing them up, whose pride is getting puffed up, and we will miss out on the love that actually builds up. And so, church, we must appreciate and love both growing in a knowledge of the truth but not simply for the sake of just obtaining more knowledge and more truth, but that this right truth would transform us and would fuel us to follow Christ and to live the lives that he is calling us to live. 
And so this is why we believe preaching through books of the Bible helps us stay fairly well balanced here, uh, because oftentimes you will get the first part of the book teaching truth and doctrine, and then it will transition to, okay, how should that truth then transform us in our lives, in every day, uh, on the ground? And so Hebrews 13 here, here we've arrived at Hebrews 13. We've gotten 12 great chapters of truth, some really good doctrine, and now it's time to see how that truth should transform how we live. Things, things this next month are going to be very practical, very applicable, all right? What does this look like on the ground level when the truth about Christ being our great high priest who has offered up himself as a sacrifice for our sins and who is now interceding for us what should that truth in our lives do? What, how should it transform us when it takes hold of us? And that's what we're going to see this morning. That's what we're going to see in Hebrews 13. And this morning, in these three verses that we're going to preach through, what we will see is that when this truth about Christ really transforms a people, it will cause them to first love the family of God, our brothers and sisters in Christ, it will cause us to love the foreigner, and what I mean by that is the stranger, the outsider in our midst. And this truth will also cause us to love the forgotten and the mistreated. All right, so that's what we're going to see this morning, how this truth should transform us and cause us to have a love for the family, a love for the foreigner, and a love for the forgotten. And so let's pray, and then we will jump into Hebrews 13. Father God, this is your word. This is your word. And these are your people. And Father, you know this has been a, a wrestle for me as I've, as these, these verses have been so convicting to me this week. And so God, I ask, Lord, that you would help me, uh, help me present your truth in a clear and understandable way. Uh, help some of the struggles I've had with this. Uh, help one another and, and us all to grow in how the truth about you should transform us. So God, I ask for your help. I ask that you would speak words uh, today that we need to hear. Help me not get in the way, God, of, of your word and your truth. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would uh, make much of the Lord today. Uh, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Hebrews 13, verse 1 says, let brotherly love continue. All right, it's not the, not the shortest verse in the Bible, but it's pretty close, okay? Uh, if you were looking for a verse to really boost your confidence in your scripture memory skills, this would be a good one to start with, all right? Let brotherly love continue. And I, and I would argue, man, we would be a much healthier church if we all had that verse memorized and we lived by it, all right? Hebrews 13, verse 1, let brotherly love love continue. In light of the truth we've learned in Hebrews all along the way, in light of this, this truth that God has shown his love for us by suffering for us so that we could be adopted into the family, in light of the truth that now Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters, in light of that truth, when that truth takes hold of you and transforms you, it should cause you to have a love for the family of God to have a love for the family of God. Someone who has received and has been transformed by the love of God has a love and has a growing and continuing love for their brothers and sisters. 
And we see this truth stated clearly in other passages of Scripture as well. For example, 1 John uh, chapter 4 is one of them we'll have up on the screen. It says, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Now the, now the original recipients of Hebrews, when they received this command, right, to let brotherly love continue, they were not being called to some emotional, flighty, you know, lovey-dovey feeling for their fellow brothers and sisters. The call from, to the family was to, 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 love, to love them played out in, in a very practical way. The love of the brethren looked like meeting one another's needs. Believers who were receiving this, they had started to experience some persecution, right? We've learned that, right? They had some hardships, and yet more was coming their way. Some of them had lost their jobs. They'd lost their businesses. Some had been kicked out of the synagogue for, for, uh, for proclaiming the name of Christ. Uh, their Jewish friends and family members had, uh, had kind of cut them off, so to speak. They were experiencing persecution from Jewish friends and family. They were also experiencing persecution from the Romans, and therefore, there were a lot of needs that the believers had. And this call to love one another was a call to love one another by meeting one another's needs. In my city group this last uh, spring, uh, we, we tried to really practically do this, right? We wanted uh, uh, Christ's love to be demonstrated and, and for us to be able to love one another by meeting one another's needs. And so what we did was we busted out the whiteboard uh, because if you know me, anytime we're going to like get down to business, we're going to bust out the whiteboard, all right? We're going to get something done, okay? So we busted out the whiteboard and, uh, and everyone had to come with a need, all right. No matter how small or how great, everyone had to come with a need. And we kind of listed out the needs that that one another had, because most of the time we just don't know what the needs are. Right. And so everyone kind of listed needs and they were all very different. Some were very uh, physical and like tangible, like they needed help with some things. Right. Some was it was just really for prayer, like people really needed prayer on this specific thing. Some people needed advice or wisdom or guidance on some things. And so we all kind of had these different needs needs. But what was cool was to see as these needs were kind of put in front of us to see then the, the love that one another uh, showed to each other as those needs then started to get met. And even as I say that, I probably should have checked to see if we actually had met all those needs. But uh, Citigroup, we are starting back again this week. If we missed you, I'm sorry. We will, we will uh, continue to pursue those. But, but it was a great, a really practical example to like put our needs before one another so that we might demonstrate love to one another by meeting one another's needs. And so let me say, this is, this is not just unique to my city group or anything like that. I think in general, we have seen this play out in this body here. And so I do want to give you a word of encouragement, all right? You, we have not done this perfectly by any means. So there's certainly needs that we have dropped the ball on, we weren't aware of, things like that. So we have not done this perfectly. But let me commend you that so far, us as a local body of believers, I think this is something we have done well, all right? 
Um, so be in, you can be encouraged right now. Um, I am going to rebuke you for verses 2 and 3. So just, feel, just enjoy this feeling right now that you're feeling, okay? Uh, I think, I think we've, we've, we've seen this play out. Whether it be people coming to the elders and expressing a need, whether it be us as individuals expressing needs, uh, uh, when, when, when I've seen people hear of needs, they have quickly jumped on that and met them. And praise God for that. That is, that is happening in this place. But, but... The way that verse 1 is written is a bit sobering because it says, let brotherly love continue. Meaning, brotherly love was happening amongst this group of believers, but they are being encouraged to see to it that it continues. Meaning that our love for the family of believers around us is going to be tested and tried. And we as a church, we are legitimately exiting out the honeymoon phase of church planting, right? We're coming up on four years, right, of, of being a local church. And uh, the reality is that a lot of people only stay at a local church for three or four years. Now, why is that? I think there's a lot of reasons for that. But one of the reasons is I think it's easy to love people for a few years. <laughs> but then you really get to know them, <laughs> And then you really start doing life with them. And then you really start rubbing shoulders with them and serving with them. And there's more chances for you to offend them and them to offend you and, and for, for you to, to assume wrongly of them and them to assume wrongly of you and them to unintentionally hurt you and you unintentionally hurt them. But Franklin City Church, we are being called by God to let the love for the family continue. And in order for it to continue, we are going to have to work some stuff out. We are going to have to work through some things together. And that is good, and that is normal, and that is healthy for us to have to work through those things. We are going to have to, in order for, for us to see love continue here, we are going to have to show grace to one another. You will at some point have to go to a brother or sister when they have wronged you, and you're going to have to talk through that with them. Now, to love them and to see let love continue, you also are going to have to assume the best of them until you can talk to them. We're always quickly to assume the worst of one another. Let's assume the best of one another until we can talk through some things. In order to see love continue here, we're going to have to be quick to forgive one another like Christ has forgiven us. We're going to have to not keep a scorecard of how our brothers and, and sisters have treated us in the past. Because we know that Christ is no longer keeping a scorecard of our sins either. Church, this is a simple command, let brotherly love continue, but it requires supernatural help to be able to do it. This does not just happen, this is not the default, all right? This does not just happen naturally in our own human strength. This will require supernatural help because the family of God is made up of different and difficult people. We are. We are made up of different and difficult people. This is not a club. And I've said that before, and I will keep saying that until it really sinks in, all right? This is not a club. This is a church. 
And there is a difference between the two in case we are ever tempted to forget that, all right? This is not simply a group of like-minded friends who gets together on Sundays and, and who tries to enjoy one another's similarities. Absolutely not. That cannot be said of us. We are the family of God. And you might choose your friends, but God chooses your family. And we have not just been called to join ourselves together with people of similar interests. We have been united together by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's way more glorious. That's way more awesome and amazing than just trying to kind of find people that we can relate with and we share some similar hobbies and interests. This is not simply a group of friends. Yes, I hope you form some friendships here. I'm not anti-friendship here. But this is not simply a group of friends. This is a family. And so you do not get to come in here and praise the sovereignty of God and then neglect to love the brother or sister who God has sovereignly put two rows away from you. Just because they're not in the same season of life or they don't have the same hobbies as you. We are a very different and diverse group of people. And we will be healthier the more different and diverse we become. We are also a people, all right? So we we are a very different people. Let's just acknowledge that, all right? Let's embrace that. That is okay. We do not want everyone in here looking exactly like me or like you. We want a variety of, of ages and interests and backgrounds and life circumstances and all of that. We need it to be a healthy church. We are a very different people. We are also a people who have, yes, been saved from the penalty of sin, but the presence of sin is still very much remains in our lives. And therefore, at times, we can be difficult people to love. We can. I know I can. Everyone in here is probably thinking of someone they know in this room that is difficult to love, and I guarantee that person's thinking of you as well. (laughs) And that's okay. That's okay. I know I am difficult to love at times. We are a very different and a difficult people. And yet by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, it is possible to see brotherly love continue here. But in order for this to happen, two things are going to have to happen. All right? I really feel feel like these these absolutely have to happen in order for brotherly love to continue here. Number one is that you as an individual member of the body of Christ must continue to commune with Christ and enjoy his love and his grace on a daily basis. If you neglect fellowship and communion with Christ, you will not be able to extend the love of Christ to your brothers and sisters. And so right now, I want to I model this for you as far as what this could maybe even look like for you at the start of a morning or at the uh, lunchtime break or in the evening before you go to bed. Yes, at times we want to study books of the Bible and, and, and get all the proper context and background and all that's very good. We should be doing that. But we also need times to sit and prayerfully consider one truth, one verse, one glorious truth about, about God. And so if you would bow your heads with me, I want to model this for us about what this would look like for us to really commune with Christ and to enjoy his love and his grace that he extends to us. And as you have your your heads bowed, I want to read for you one verse, probably really familiar to you. And yet I want you to prayerfully slow down and really chew on it 
and consider it and reflect on it and let it really wash, wash over you. I want you to enjoy it. It's from Galatians 2.20. Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Now hear these words, hear these words. Who loved me and gave himself for me. Church, right now, just prayerfully consider that. That Jesus loves you and gave himself for you. And you know you better than anyone else in here knows you. And you know that that you are very different from Christ. And you know at times you can be difficult. And yet, church, hear this truth. He loves you and he gave himself for you. And so for you followers of Christ who desire to live like Christ lives, can the brother or sister sitting in the row next to you say the same of you? That you love them and you have given yourself for them. The only way you're going to be able to do this is day in and day out experiencing and enjoying the love of Christ yourself. Spirit, would you help? In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can, you guys can look up. We have to be experiencing the love of Christ ourselves if we are ever going to have a shot at extending it to others. The second thing we must do for brotherly love to continue here at Franklin City Church is we must pray for one another. All right? The reason that we are, one of the reasons we're starting to have midweek morning prayer is not, we know that doesn't work for everyone's schedule, but we as your pastors and leaders want to make sure we are really getting after it in prayer like, it, like, like our life as a church depended on it because we know it does. For brotherly love to continue, we must be praying for one another. The theologian A.W. Pink will have a quote of his. Real men read Pink. Um, It's been said by others, I think. I don't know if Joshua said it, but that's where I heard it from. He said, The measure of our love for others can largely be determined by the frequency and earnestness of our prayers for them. I mean, how else can someone expect to continue to live with and love different and difficult people unless they are on their knees begging God to help them do that? This is absolutely necessary. You must pray for one another. Because when you are praying for someone, not only is that God, uh, uh, you, not only is that God's means by which he is accomplishing his ends in that person's life, but he's also doing something supernatural in your life as you're praying for them. As he's pouring his love into you and he's, he's growing your love for that brother or sister that you are praying for because as you are interceding them for them, you're doing what Christ is doing for them and you're aligned in heart and mind with Christ and you start seeing them like Christ sees them. And your love for them will grow. 
And church, I've, I mean, I see this month in and month out. Like, I, there's a heart check in me, I know, when I'm struggling to love a brother or sister. Like, the, 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 the reminder pops up, are you praying for them? No. I start praying for them. Two weeks later, I, I love them. It's, it's, I mean, this is, this is happening all the time. We must be praying for one another. And so church, if you will not commit to communing with Christ and considering his sacrificial love for you, and if you will not commit to praying for the brothers and sisters in this room, listen, I don't think brotherly love can continue here. And we, we might as well just call it, you know? I mean, it's been fun. It's been a good, good run. But church, can you imagine what God could do in our midst if brotherly love continues and grows and flourishes here? Can you imagine what could happen amongst the people who are enjoying Christ's love and then extending it to one another? I mean, that's exciting to think about. That's, that's a body of believers I want to be a part of because that is the church being the church. And that's how the watching world around us will know that Christ lives and reigns. It will be by seeing the love that we have for one another. The truth of Christ's love for us should be cultivating and growing in us a love for one another. And if that love's not there, we need to get a little bit of a heart check. Are we ourselves enjoying the love of Christ? And are we praying for our brothers and sisters? And I'm not talking like a vague brothers and sisters, you know, all over the world. I think we should be doing that. But I'm talking about like brothers and sisters in this room. Are we praying for them? Do we love them? Are we meeting one another's needs? But the truth that transforms us, it should cause us to not just love our brothers and sisters in Christ. But look at verse 2, and look at who else this should cause us to love. Hebrews 13, verse 2, says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Now, this concept of biblical hospitality is not getting so much at you hosting your best friends for dinner, okay? That is, that is certainly a good thing to do on occasion. No one is anti you hosting your friends for dinner, okay? But biblical hospitality is really this category of a love for strangers, a love for the outsiders, a love for the foreigner, a love for a person who's not currently connected to your, love, to your family of believers. And hospitality in the ancient times, it was really important. It was a really necessary practice during those times because traveling was not, safe, is not as safe as it is today, all right? People who would be traveling back then would heavily rely upon people opening up their homes and welcoming them in for a safe evening to rest and be refreshed, okay? Hotels and inns throughout the Roman Empire had a really bad reputation, all right? You knew you were either going to get robbed or you were going to get fleas or bugs, okay? And, uh, and some of you have maybe stayed in hotels like that. You're like, no, one or the other is going to happen. You're just hoping for the robbery, right? Um, 
And so there were even stories in the Roman Empire of certain hotel managers. They would, uh, they would hold their guests hostage, or they would you know, take bribes, or they would uh, uh, enslave them, right? Some people were getting thrown into slavery, all right? Uh, inns throughout the Roman Empire usually coincided with brothels, and so there was a lot of immorality, a lot of crime, a lot of bugs that were taking place in these hotels. And so there was a need for people to have places of rest and refreshment that would be a safe harbor for them to take refuge in for the night. And here this group of believers are being encouraged to open up their homes and welcome in those who were not a part of their local family of faith, who were strangers. And then I love this in verse 2. He gives them an encouragement and a motivation behind it. He says, For thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Now, what he's probably referring to is, is the most well-known story that these people would have been aware of from Genesis 18, where Abraham and Sarah welcomed three guests, two, uh, you know, not knowing at first that two of them were angels, and the third was probably the pre-incarnate Christ, who tells them that in a year, Sarah is going to be pregnant. And there were certainly other stories throughout the Old Testament where we see angels visiting humans, and even in the New Testament as well. And, uh, and the original recipients would have been familiar with this, and that, that, that this on occasion does happen, all right? This isn't, the, this isn't the norm. This isn't the regular way. This isn't how hospitality always works. But it did happen where angels had appeared to people, and the people didn't realize they were speaking with and showing hospitality to angels. But let's listen. The point, all right, what's the point? The point of him writing about angels is not to say that we should show hospitality and expect that some angels are going to show up, okay? That's not the point. That's not what he's trying to get at here, all right? But the point is that we should show hospitality. And as we do, we can be assured that there will be guests that we welcome in that will bring a far greater blessing to us than any blessing we are to them. For not only is God bringing rest and refreshment to the one being welcomed in, but he's also doing a work and bringing a blessing to the one who is opening up their lives and opening up their homes, all right? And church, I believe the need for Christian hospitality is just as great today as it was back then. I mean, we have grown up, many of us have grown up in a world of stranger danger, right? Like we have been taught our first instinct with a stranger is to be suspicious of them. I mean, you guys should see me when the doorbell rings at home, right? The doorbell rings and everyone, you know, everyone gets, I, at least I do, I won't speak for my family, but I get on edge, you know, like, who's, who's ringing the doorbell? <laughs> Brett, Brett. Did anyone text you? Like, who would come to the door before texting, right? Like, I'm like staying low, keeping the lights dark. Did you order something on Amazon? <laughs> we are suspicious of strangers. We are suspicious of people we don't know. Our first instinct is not to trust them, to be afraid of them. And listen, I'm not saying there isn't some wisdom in teaching young kids, right, not to, uh, uh, not to talk with or trust strangers without their parents being there. I, I think that's all a very good, healthy part of young childhood, okay? But at some point in your maturing process, at some point in your growing up, if you are going to be a follower of Christ, you have to overcome the fear of strangers. 
And what we've seen this past year is this has only been heightened now by COVID, right? I mean, we were already afraid of one another before, and now people, you know, we're really afraid of each other, right? A fear of strangers has been multiplied uh, throughout our, our culture and our people. And as a result, people have become lonelier and lonelier and more isolated and more isolated. And some countries are now hiring loneliness ministers and people to try to like figure out how to embattle this loneliness epidemic and the suicide numbers that are growing. And here then is the church who has the words of God in their hands. And his word says to not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. What an opportunity we have to share the love of Christ with our neighbors by simply welcoming them into our homes. Do, do you guys know why we don't have more things scheduled as a, as a church? I sometimes forget about this, okay? Uh, and I haven't communicated this well to you. This past Monday, we were driving to Turkey Run. We were going through a small town. We stopped at a train track next to a, a, a Baptist church. They had out there on their sign, you know, Sunday school, 9 a.m., worship, 11, 11 a.m., worship then later, Sunday night, 6 p.m., uh, Bible study, Wednesday, 7 p.m., prayer service, you know, also Saturday, men's study, Saturday, and I'm looking at this, and I'm like, those people are getting after it, you know? Good for them. That's awesome. That was, that was somewhat of the norm in church life at a certain time, right? There was the Sunday morning, the Sunday evening, the midweek, and things like that. And, and listen, nothing's, nothing's wrong with that. Every time I come back from vacation, I try to start that, and, and, and uh, Pastor Kevin and Gary, they, they talk me down off of the ledge, right? And I myself have to be reminded as to why we are trying not to book every night of the week for you. We have a very simple church schedule, right? We ask 90 minutes on a Sunday morning. We ask a couple hours on a midweek night. Why? Why do we only do that? And please forgive me for not talking about this more. Our hope is that you would have the time to not only spend with your, your family, but also that you would have the time to practice Christian hospitality. That you would be able to invite your neighbors over for dinner and learn more about them than just their name, if you even know that. And so we have a simple church schedule so that you will be able to be involved in things in our city that would allow you to meet and know those that are outside of our church. And listen, not for the purpose of just getting them to our church, all right? That's not like a scheme. That's not a church growth scheme. Like, let's just all be involved in these things so we can get them in here. That's not the purpose at all. The purpose is not to get them into this church, but for the purpose of welcoming them into your home and into your life so that they might see what it looks like when Christ transforms a person and a home and a household. And, I, and listen, I've been under such great conviction about this this week. Um, I don't feel like I'm the best person to, to preach this to you. I can't say, look at my example, follow me. Um, but I do believe this will be a turning point in the life of our church and in the life of my family. We were even last night out talking with some of our neighbors. So check back in with me in a month, all right? But, but, 
but I'm not probably the best example of this. And listen, if you do have neighbors that, that, that are looking for a good church, they want to know more about what you believe, all that, certainly invite them to church. That's great. We'd love to have them here. But most of your neighbors, what they need first, most of your neighbors, what they need first is to have a place to be known, to find rest and refreshment from the craziness of the world, and to see firsthand how Christ transforms people's lives to see a person in a household that Christ is king. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. Isn't that a truth we've been learning in Hebrews, right? That we're not supposed to go back to the temple. There's not one spot where the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is now in us. And therefore, the closest some people will ever come to the presence of God is in the home of a follower of Christ. And how dare you rob your neighbors of that? God has not gotten your address wrong. And a part of the grace and love that he has shown to your neighbors has been for him to put you where he has put you. And he desires them to be welcomed into the family of God, but it starts first by being welcomed into your home and into your life. And church, I do think we can grow in this. I do think we can grow in this. God calls us to show hospitality to strangers, whether it be strangers that show up here, all right? Every week, we typically have some new people here, some strangers here that we can, that we can go to first and seek to show hospitality and make sure they know they are welcomed and they are loved, right? Not for the sake of church growth. Again, that's not a scheme, right? But we want to acknowledge, we want to follow Christ's ways that he welcomes in the outsider, but there are also strangers and outsiders we come across in our workplaces, in our schools, and certainly in our neighborhoods. We must decide and allow the love of Christ to compel us and transform us, to welcome in people into our homes and our lives. Because remember what motivates this in us. It is the love of Christ. And listen, I realize that some of your neighbors might seem like a mess but you know what? We were a mess when Christ showed his love for us and died for us. Now, why don't we do this, all right? Why, why, why don't we open our homes to those that don't know Christ? I think there's a lot of reasons. Uh, some of us are just too busy, in all honesty, right? We've just got too much going on to obey God's word, all right? And when you put it like that, it's, uh, it's hard to even say that sentence, right? But it's true, right? Some of us were just too busy. And if that is the case, listen, you need to seriously reprioritize your life if it's not allowing you to obey God's word, right? If we're, if we're booking you too much as a church, you need to let us know that, right? If we're, if we're booking the, the church calendar too much, you don't have time to show hospitality, you need to let us know, all right? But if you're feeling like you're too busy, you got to you got to seriously consider and prayerfully consider your life and what you're prioritizing right now. Some of us, some of us are afraid. Some of us, there's fear involved, right? Stranger danger. Or we're afraid it might be awkward. 
It might not be as comfortable as having our Christian friends over. They won't get all of our Christianese Sunday school jokes and references, right? Or questions come up like this. I've thought these. Uh, what, what if my neighbors curse like a sailor and my kids are around? What if my kids see their kids misbehaving and pick up some bad attitudes and habits? What if my acceptance of them into my life and house is interpreted as my approval of all their life decisions? What if they don't like me? What if they think we're weird? What if they're weird? What if we're both weird? What if this compromises my safety? This feels risky. And church, I've thought those questions. I've wrestled with God with those questions. I've responded back to him with those questions. And I believe those questions are from the very pit of hell. And those questions come from an enemy who would love to see you content to be walled up in your castle while your neighbors, who are longing for the love of Christ and don't even know it, sit alone in their home and could spend eternity separated from God in order for you to feel safer and more comfortable. And as I walked through our neighborhood yesterday and I was praying and I was looking at our house and I was considering these things, I didn't have like a... Uh, uh, a vision or something like that, but there was something that switched in my head as I viewed our house and as I looked at our street. And I felt like for one of the first times I could see our house more for what it was. You see, many times we view our houses as castles, right? They're there to provide protection. They're a fortress from everything around us. But someone who is following Christ and someone who is not neglecting to show hospitality to strangers should not see their house as a castle. They should instead see their house as a bridge. We are citizens of the city of the living God, the new Jerusalem, and the bridge for your neighbors to enter and for them to encounter Christ could be first by being welcomed into your house. And this is what our city groups try to model for us, right? Those of you that host city group and you're welcoming people into your home, many times those city groups are formed and, and we are sort of strangers. We don't really know one another well. But because you don't view your house as a castle, you view it as a bridge, you open up your home, you welcome people in, and you watch as these people then start walking together and growing together and coming into the family of God. But the point of city groups hosting and doing these things is to model to you what you should also be doing with your house or your apartment or wherever you live. Do you view your house as a castle or as a bridge? Castles keep the safety of the castle as their number one top priority above all else. Bridges keep safety in mind, but they consider the safety of those that are traveling across it as well. And those who are living apart from Christ, listen, they are in great danger, both in this life and in the life to come. And so we need more bridges, less castles. If the place you live in, is, if you're viewing it as a castle, and you can't see it as ever becoming a bridge, you probably need to move. 
Now, I don't want to. I don't want to guilt you into this, right? I think I could probably lay on the guilt for you to talk to one neighbor, and then it would fizzle out. Okay, so I don't want to guilt you into this, but I want you to imagine and dream with me what it could be like a year from now if all of us really took God's word seriously and we started showing Christian hospitality to strangers. Strangers that come into this place, strangers that we live with, strangers that we work with. What if those strangers, as we welcomed them then, started to become neighbors and some of them started to become family and brothers and sisters? I mean, could you imagine what God could do? Imagine what God could do in the lives of your neighbors. But even more, imagine what God could do in your life. As you selflessly sacrifice what you had and you welcomed people into your home, knowing that, yeah, walls are going to get marked up, right? Things are going to get messy. Things are going to, it's not, it might not be as comfortable and as safe as we want it to be. But can you imagine what God could do as we follow in obedience to his word and we welcome in people who, who us who have been welcomed in by Christ so well? Now, if I know the enemy's strategies, I can almost guarantee your first couple encounters will go really poorly, okay? You'll go out from this place. You'll, you'll, you'll really try to pursue. You know, that was when we first uh, started here, uh, had next-door neighbors really tried to pour into. After a couple of years, they moved, right? It kind of knocks the wind out of you. So some of you have had, had run-ins with neighbors, right? As you've tried to love them and things have just kind of gone south. And so listen, do not let the enemy knock the wind out of you on this. He does not want your neighbors to spend time in houses who have submitted to Christ as king. But persevere, be patient, and pray. Because the love of Christ compels us to love the family as well as to love the foreigner and the stranger. As well... This is the third point. We are compelled to love the forgotten. Now, why do I say forgotten? Look at verse 3. Hebrews 13, verse 3. It says, Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Now, remember, this group of believers that's receiving this, they had started to experience some persecution. Some of their fellow believers had been thrown into prison. And prisoners were treated very poorly in the first century. Therefore, believers who were in prison, they were very dependent upon their brothers and sisters to bring them food for them to even survive, all right? However, for the person going to the prison, it was a risky business because now all of a sudden, you know, if you go and associate yourself with this Christian who's in prison, now you might be targeted, right? Now you might be persecuted. Now you might be put in prison as well. And you've got a family. You've got kids to feed, right? So there was some risk involved in going and caring for a brother and sister in prison. But essentially they are being encouraged in light of the truth of Christ being willing to suffer for us so too should we be willing to love those in prison, to love those who are being persecuted, even if it means risking our own safety. Now, the direct application for us, okay, who don't live currently in a city where people are being thrown into prison for being Christians, okay, so this, all right, the, the direct application for us is for us to remember and be praying for our brothers and sisters around the world who are in jail and who are being persecuted for Christ. This is, this is happening, right? 
Uh, Voice of the Martyrs is, is one organization that you could get uh, plugged into or check out their website or things like that, that you could start to become aware of the persecution and those that are being imprisoned. Uh, Voice of the Martyrs, I found they have a, a website called prisonalert.com prisonalert.com. It's a website where they, uh, they list to you prisoners uh, that are being imprisoned for the name of Christ and ways you can pray for them, uh, a way for you to write a letter to them, and a way for you to petition governing officials to, for their release. All right? Uh, there's an app that Voice of the Martyrs has that will bring up a, a daily thing to pray about for Christians being persecuted. Open Doors USA is another organization that sheds light on those around the world who are in prison, Okay? So that would be probably a direct application of this verse for us, to develop a rhythm in our life and in our prayer life, whether it be a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, where we are remembering those that are suffering for the name of Christ right now all around the world. A more distant application for us would be to see this verse as, yes, a, not only a call to remember those in prison, but a call for us to love those who can be easily forgotten. I mean, that's the hard thing about loving those in prison. It's just that they can be easily forgotten. They're out of sight, out of mind, right? We're not running into them every day to remember to pray for them. But there are many categories of people that could be forgotten in our current setting and the current culture that we live in, that we need to make sure that we are remembering them in prayer and showing love to them. For example, in our church body or in our city, Someone who is not in the same season of life as we are could easily be forgotten. I know this is true of me. A lot of times as I'm thinking through needs or people that I need to, you know, you just, you just naturally think through uh, remembering to reach out to someone who's in the exact same season of life as you are. And so do not easily forget those that are not in the same season of life. Other, thing, other people, groups that can be easily forgotten, how about the kids in the foster care system? Those needing to be adopted. We can easily forget this is a need all around us. How about single moms, those who've had maybe unplanned pregnancies and struggling to know how to get by? How can we, not, how can we care for and love those that might be easily forgotten? How about the elderly, those that are in assisted living facilities right now and can't get out and about? Like, if, if we're not going to them, we're not going to naturally just bump into those people and remember how to love and care for them. How about the poor in our community? The abused, the neglected, the people with so many troubles, we would just prefer to forget about them because it would make our lives a bit easier and more comfortable to forget. Church, if the truth of Christ's love takes hold of us, then we should be compelled to love those who could be easily forgotten. And so let me, let me wrap up the, this morning by giving just kind of a, some summary statements, okay? Christ, church, Christ loves us and has given himself for us. And in light of this, may brotherly love continue here. May we always seek to love the family of God here, however different and difficult we might be. May we also then make room in our lives and in our homes to show hospitality to strangers, to welcome in those people who are foreign to the family. May we offer them refreshment and rest as we see our homes more as bridges and not castles for the kingdom of God. And may we remember those brothers and sisters in prison or under persecution and all those who might be easily forgotten. 
Church, may we love well as ones who are loved well by God. Let's pray.